you have your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew chapter 3. I need to tell you that I have been torn what I was going to start teaching. I toyed with the book of Ruth. I toyed with teaching through Matthew. And then just in the last couple, uh, last week or so, the Lord has just really said to me, you trust me for the message on Monday that I'm going to give to you throughout the week. And so I'm not even going to commit to you that I'm going to teach through a book. I'm going to really just seek the Lord and what he wants uh, fresh manna for you. So Matthew chapter 3. Can I just tell you that my husband is extremely organized? Um, he is a list man. Uh, he keeps us organized with those lists. And this summer we went for a camping trip to Gulf Shores, Alabama. And if you've ever been camping, you will know that it requires advanced preparation. Because the last thing you want to do is to find yourself caught in the deep woods, miles from civilization, unprepared. And we never are. And that's thanks to Dave and his lists. Um, over the years, he's compiled a camping list that he adheres to and he checks over every single time we leave on a camping trip. And as a result, we're always fully prepared and we always have what we need and we're never caught by surprise or find ourselves lacking anything on the journey. Tonight, we're going to study about a man whose job was to prepare people for a journey much more significant than camping. Uh, his name was John the Baptist and his list, if you will, was compiled to prepare people for their journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I'd like to look at, uh, look with you at tonight in Matthew chapter 3. But before we begin, would you just pray with me? Father, I just thank you for your word, your life-giving, life-changing word. I'm so grateful, Lord, that it never returns void, that it always goes forth and prospers for the very thing that you sent it to do I ask, Lord, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to be upon the preaching of the word tonight so that when I open my mouth, that words would be given to me and I'll declare them as fearlessly as I ought. And I pray that the hearts and the minds of every man and woman in this room tonight would be open to hear and to receive your word. I come against every obstacle and every hindrance to, to the reception of your word in Jesus' name, and I forbid them from operating and ask for them to be removed now in Jesus' name, and I pray for ears to hear and hearts to receive, Lord God. Tune my ear to wisdom. Let me hear your voice leading and guiding every word that I say, and Father, I pray that, that, that you would just bring clarity and understanding to your word tonight as we study. In the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus, I ask this, amen. Matthew chapter 3, I'd like to read verses 1 through 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and the, all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you? to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. 
And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. I believe this is a timely message. I I need to tell you that when I see what what is happening in the world today, I I believe he's coming soon. I'm I'm just going to tell you that. As a little girl growing up, my mom would tell me that all the time, and I'd be like, Mama, you say that all the time. He still has not come, but I, I really do believe he is coming soon. This passage begins with the phrase, in those days. That's really important because with those three simple words, we jump from Jesus's infancy in the first two chapters to the onset of his ministry. And the story that we're looking at tonight takes place about 30 years after the birth of Jesus Christ. Or if you're looking at those verses just immediately preceding the ones we read tonight, about 25 years after Joseph moved his family to Nazareth. And so then we pick up in verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching. It's interesting to note that this story about John the Baptist is included in all four Gospels. That, that I don't want you to miss that because that tells me that his message must be important. Because all the gospel writers wanted to include it in their gospels. And not only does the story of John appear in in every gospel account, but in each of these stories, the ministry of Jesus is prefaced by John the Baptist's prophetic voice telling the people to prepare the way of the Lord. That's important because what, what you might not realize is that the Lord had been silent. Heaven had been silent for 400 years prior to this story. You say, well, Rhea, what, what do you mean by that? Do you see, uh, there's a time in between the book of Malachi. The Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and that time in between Testaments, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's known as the intertestamental period, or what I like, the silent years. And they call it the silent years because God did not speak for 400 years. Can you just imagine? I I can't stand when he doesn't speak to me for a day. But for 400 years, there was no word from heaven through the voice of a prophet. The priests were still, were, were still functioning, but the priests were, there, there, there was, uh, they weren't heralding the word of God. It was about religion for them. There was no prophetic word for 400 years. And now suddenly, emerging from the wilderness, came a voice beckoning, crying, A prophet carrying the word of God after 400 years. No wonder they came out to hear him. And so I want to know if after 400 years, no prophet was speaking. And now all of a sudden he starts talking, God starts talking again. I want to know what God has to say. It must be important. The message that John was beckoning, uh, bellowing was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John's prophetic voice brought an end to 400 years of silence from heaven. And when God spoke again, his first words were repent. In verse 3, we find out that John was the one who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. Matthew is quoting a text here in verse 3 from from the prophet Isaiah. It can be found in Isaiah 40, verse 3, if you want to turn back there. And it's where the prophet Isaiah prophesies the appearance of a forerunner to the Messiah. Let's read it together. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This was a prophetic word given to the prophet Isaiah about a forerunner that would be coming announcing the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. Remember, Matthew's readers were Jewish. They would have known that Old Testament prophecy. They would have known that when, when John appeared on the scene and, and he began to quote this scripture, prepare the way of the Lord, they would have recognized him as the forerunner. In Malachi 3.1 and, and Malachi 4, 5, and 6, if you want to turn there, remember Malachi, the last, chap, the last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Malachi 4, 5 through 6 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Now, I want you to remember how John's birth came about. His birth was pretty supernatural, if you remember. His mother, Elizabeth, and father, Zacharias, they were not able to have a child. Elizabeth was barren, and they were well advanced in years, as the scripture tells us. And his father, you'll recall, was a priest. See, this is important because John would have been born into the priestly, into a priestly family. It would have been expected of him to become a priest. He would have been trained and raised up to become a priest. And where do we find John? Not in the temple. We find him in the wilderness. That's going to be important. And so his father was working as a priest, and I think he had been selected to to burn incense. I'm I'm not sure, but I think that's the case. And and when he's in there, the angel of the Lord Gabriel appears to him, and he says, you know, God has heard your prayers, (laughs) and you're going to have a child. And this is what he says to him. If you look in in, um, Luke chapter chapter 1, verse 17, he says that their son would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And that he would make ready a people from the Lord. Oh, can I just tell you, there's nothing I want more in my life than to make ready a people for the Lord. But, but the angel said to, to, to Zechariah, he is going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Oh, here's what I love about Elijah. Here's what I love about John. They did not care who they offended. All they knew is they had a message to herald for the Lord and they were not going to water it down. They weren't going to mince words. They weren't going to be all willy-nilly about it. They were going to say it like it was because that's how lives change. And so, so John was coming in that same power as Elijah. If you'll recall, John offended pretty many people. In fact, in this passage, he calls the religious, leader a brood, the religious leaders a brood of vipers. That was not a compliment. 
If you remember how he died, he died because he called Herod out, Herod, King Herod out for his immorality, and he was beheaded. He didn't care. He was going to speak truth. I love that about him. And so Zacharias, remember, Scripture says that they were well advanced in years, that commentators say Elizabeth would have been past menopause. <laughs> and, and here's Gabriel saying, you're going to have a child. And, and you know, John or Zacharias was like, how, how can that even be? And here's what I love so much about this. This is just another sermon. But Gabriel says, I, I am Gabriel, <laughs> and I stand in the presence of the Lord. In other words, who are you to question me? I'm carrying the word of the Lord for you. And I think how often I question the word of the Lord. I question it. And so you'll remember that that's how John's birth came about. And he spent most of his time in the wilderness. He was probably ostracized. He was a little different kind of guy. He was dressed in, in camel's hair and a leather belt. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And, and that's just a picture of the prophetic office that he's carrying. It's a picture of his humility. It's a picture of how you need to approach God. You see, sometimes it's all about what we're wearing. It's all about how much money we have. It's all about prestige. And I'm telling you, it's not for God. It's not. And so verse 1 tells us that John came preaching, and I love that. That word came means to appear on the scene. He came out of the wilderness, and he appeared on the scene. And he came preaching, and that word preaching, it's a fascinating word. It means to be a herald. It means to proclaim in the manner of a herald. It's always with this suggestion of an authority that must be listened to and obeyed. This word was used of the official whose duty it was to proclaim loudly and extensively the coming of an earthly king. A herald back in Bible times would enter a town on behalf of an emperor or a king and they would make a public proclamation of the message which the king had given them to speak had ordered them to do so. And they would do it with, with gravity and with great authority as to emphasize that the message must be heeded. And, and it's really interesting that the herald would have to agree to not take away or, or subtract or, or add to the message that the king had given them. So the king would say, here is the message I want you to give my people. Do not subtract from it and do not add to it. And that herald would then go through the town and he would begin to proclaim it to the people. And he did it with, with, with such uh, sincerity and with such a weight on him that he knew he could not add to or take away from his words. Can I tell you that when I stand up here and I preach to you, I am so fully aware that I cannot take away. I cannot subtract from this word to make you feel good. I cannot add to it to make myself look good or to make your ears feel better about it. I have a responsibility as a herald, as one who preaches the word of God to do it correctly and that I have to take seriously the call that's been given and that's where John was. He knew that God had given him a message, had given him a job to do, a mission to accomplish and he was taking it seriously. He did not care what people thought of him and he came preaching and what was the message he was preaching? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice it says repent for. That's interesting to me because that word for, if you look it up in the original language, it's a primary part, participant, participant, participle assigning reason. That word assigns reason. It, it's used in an argument or an explanation. It's used for intensification. In other words, repent for. Here's the reason. I'm calling you to repent. And here is the reason the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand, some of your scriptures, some of your translations might say. 
That word at hand means near, present with you. You see, Jesus was about to come on the scene. and He was going to be present with them. And John was telling them how to prepare for his coming. The preparation was in repentance. Notice he says kingdom. I want you to keep in mind that heaven is a kingdom. A kingdom is a territory over which a king reigns and rules. To be in a kingdom, and hear me loudly, to be in a kingdom is to submit yourself to the laws of the king over that kingdom. How many times have you heard the scripture, uh, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you? Do, Do you see, the first part of that is submitting to the authority in your life. You can either submit to the devil, dear one, or you can submit to God. But the scripture says, if I submit to the authority of my kingdom, it'll be easy for me to resist the devil and he will have to flee from me because he'll recognize I understand authority. My husband, Dave, has not always been a citizen of the United States. For many years, he lived as a citizen of the United Kingdom. And while he was living in the UK, he was not subject to the laws of America. Would you agree with me? They didn't apply to him because he wasn't a citizen of this country. But when his family left that kingdom to come to this kingdom, kingdom, if you will, they had a new set of laws that they had to adhere to. When they became citizens of this kingdom, they had to agree, he he took an oath, that he would agree to live by the new set of laws in this kingdom. Now, if Dave continued to drive our car from the passenger side of the car, That might be a problem. At that point, he might get pulled over by a police officer. And I I don't think this would cut it. I don't think he would say, I'm sorry, sir, but I was adhering to the the laws of Her Majesty the Queen. (laughs) Would that work? No, he would be ticketed. There's no doubt about it. He wouldn't accept the excuse that he was still operating under an old set of laws. And you see, the same is true in the kingdom of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of this world. And you see, this world entices me. I'm not going to lie. Maybe you are super spiritual and you are holier than me, but I'm just telling you that this world sometimes entices me to break the laws of the kingdom of God. Sometimes I look and I say, everybody else is doing it. Why can't I? But then God reminds me, you are not a king. You are not a citizen of this world. This world, there is one authority. Who, who knows who, the, the, who is the, the, the um, what do they call it, the ruler of this world? Who is it? Satan. So if you want to live by the world's set of laws, guess who you're submitting to? But I want to live under the kingdom of heaven. And so if I'm going to live under the kingdom of heaven, whose rules do I have to submit to? The Lord. See, there's a war in our lives. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And we have to choose whose authority we will be subject to. Leah and I were talking tonight just briefly. And and we were talking about repentance. And and, and Leah said, it's such a beautiful thing. Why do people get so bent out of shape over it? Because it's such a beautiful thing. It brings life. It brings protection. You see, the Israelites were God's chosen people. And they were in covenant with him. But during this time, they had gotten out of right relationship with him. Hear me. They were still in covenant with him. They were still his chosen people. Are you hearing me? Because I don't want you to misunderstand me. Because there is nothing you could ever do to separate you from the love of God. 
You are saved by grace through faith and not by works so that nobody can boast. What saved you, what's getting you to eternal life through Jesus Christ is what? Grace. It's a gift. You don't earn that. There's no repentance in this world that would be enough to condone that. You can't work your way there. It's a gift. But I'm just telling you, now that you're secure and that you have the eternal life through Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of what kingdom? And so what laws are you subject to? See, people don't like the word law. <laughs> they like grace, but they don't like law. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that a bit. But John came. The Israelites had gotten out of right relationship with God. They were still his chosen people. They were still in covenant with him, but they were complacent. And God, John came challenging their complacency, encouraging them to change and to prepare themselves for the coming of the Lord. They were God's people, but they were not living under the rule and reign of his kingdom. They were not living to please God. They were living to please themselves. And it was in that very environment that John came preaching. They got John came announcing, repent for the kingdom of God is near. So repentance is important. But what are we repenting of? Anybody? Sin. What exactly is sin? One of my favorite definitions I heard Tony Evans give this is any violation of the divine standard. Sin is any violation of the divine standard. You see, sin is not a bad choice. I didn't just make a mistake. I didn't just mess up. When I violate God's standards, he calls it what? Sin. And you see, God is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. And he cannot look on sin. And sin separates us from him. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bridge that gap between us and, the, between us and God. He became sin for us so that we could become the what? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So now when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ in us. That's how he looks at us. It's not fair because I'm a mess. It's like if I was looking at Leslie through a pink balloon, how would I see Leslie? Pink. When he looks at me, he sees the blood of Jesus. And he says, her, her, the, my wrath is satisfied with what happened to my son on the cross. So why do I have to repent then if that's the case? You see, that's my, my standing with God. It's just as if I've never sinned. Lord, help me to explain this. See, I'm going to heaven. I can rest that I have eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. Even when I mess up, there's grace. So why would I repent? I love this man with all of my heart. We are in covenant with one another. We belong to each other. Nothing. I mean, you could tell me the worst thing about him, and I'd say, well, tough. I'm in covenant. We're stuck. This is, we're together forever. Period. End of discussion. Covenant. That's what covenant is. But sometimes he ticks me off. And, and sometimes he hurts me. And, and when he hurts me or does something wrong, I'm still in covenant with him, am I not? We're still living in the same house. But our fellowship is severed, is it not? And I'm still like, hi, Dave. Morning, buddy. How you doing? But I'm doing my own thing over here. <laughs> and he's smooching me, and I'm turning from my cheek, you know. And, and we're still together. We're still in covenant. But he sinned against me. Now, we could live, and some of your marriages, that's where you're living. We could live like that for the rest of our, our life. Or 
Dave could come to me and say, Rita, you know what? I sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And I just want to make it right. How, how can I make it right? I just want to tell you I'm sorry. You see, when that sorry comes, our relationship can be restored. Do you see it? So even though we're in covenant, even though nothing's going to separate our marriage, I don't want to just live like that with him. I love him. I, I want to spend time with him. I want to fellowship with him. I, I want to enjoy his presence. You see, that's what happens with God. There's nothing you could ever do to separate you from his love. Salvation is secure. You're, you're secure. Nothing can snatch you out of God's hand. You don't have to worry about losing your salvation. If you lose your salvation, dear one, you never had it to begin with. I'm just going to be honest with you. And, uh, but but it's, so this isn't about losing our salvation. This is about sin. And, and understanding that our sin is an offense to God. We break his laws. <laughs> and is there grace there? Absolutely, positively, 100%. But I want fellowship with him. I, I want to walk with him. I, 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 I want to, I want I, I, see, the Bible says that the wages of sin is what? Death. See, you can quote that scripture. The wages of sin is death. How about this one? Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's James. See, God always, throughout scripture, associates sin with death. Today, I walked out in the garage with Davey. I was going someplace, and he was carrying my bag out in the, out in the car for me. And, and we walked out in the garage, and it was like, whoosh. We got this, like we were overwhelmed with this stench. And it was stench, like burn my nose stench. And I'm like, Davey, I thought the garbage man went on Saturday. Did you not put the garbage out? And he's like, no, the garbage went out, Rhea. That's a dead animal. And I'm like, oh, I mean, it was this horrible, horrible stench. And you see, an animal must have gotten in our garage, and we hadn't been using our garage door because we had just sealed our driveway. And so it must have gotten separated from the things it needed for life. And so it died. The stench we smelled was just a consequence. The problem was death. And so we could say, let's spray some stuff out in the garage. <laughs> but unless we dealt with the death, the stench would never go away. Are you with me? The death was the problem. The stench was the consequence. See, some of you want God to fix your consequence, and he wants you to fix the death. Because the wages of sin is death. Not, not forever eternal separation from God. He understands your, your dust. That's death. And what it does to you, what it does to me, you see, when I entertain sin in my heart, and I do sometimes, I, I, I know you're spiritual, but I'm just telling you, me, sometimes I entertain sin. Sometimes it feels good not to forgive somebody who messed me over. God's Rhea, come on. The laws of my kingdom say, forgive. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And I can fight God, and he's still my best buddy, and I'm still going to heaven, and, and mm, he's on my team. And we're in covenant. We're tight. But my sin, see what happens. Oh, Lord, keep me on track here. The, the other day I was coming back from the airport, and I don't know those roads like I should. I really count on my GPS. And, and I was zoning, and I just happened to take a, a wrong turn coming home from the airport. And I started, you know, I drove for a long time, and then I started seeing things that I did not recognize. And I'm like, oh, man, I think I'm... I think I did a wrong turn, but I thought maybe if I drive a little bit further, I'll see something familiar. So I just kept driving, even though I knew I had taken a wrong turn. And, and my GPS is going off like crazy, but I'm like, I have no idea where I'm at, and so I'll just keep driving until something is familiar. 
Who knows what I needed to do is get off the exit and do a U-turn and head back the other direction. But I was stubborn because my dad is a truck driver, and, you know, that's, truck drivers do that. They know they don't ever ask for directions, and they don't use a GPS. And sometimes I'm like that in my spiritual walk. I just start trucking along, and, 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 and before I know it, I'm making some bad choices that I know I'm not walking with God anymore. I know that, that those things, those choices I'm making are not pleasing to him. He still loves me. I'm his for eternity, and, and, and you know, we're in covenant, but... <laughs> I'm going and things are not feeling familiar anymore and I'm kind of feeling the effects of getting off repentance. It's just a U-turn. You see, if you look at that word repent, let's look at the word repent. It's, it's more than just a bad feeling about our sin. Repent means to change one's mind. It actually means to change one's mind for the better. Uh, James Boyce says repentance involves a turning from sin to God. It literally means to think differently. My, my favorite definition is to think differently and to change one be, one's behavior. You see, a change of mind to think differently always will lead to a change of behavior. Repentance requires a change in our carnal, fleshly thinking and behavior. Max Anders says a change in mind is suspect if it does not result in a change of behavior. He says, just like faith without works is not faith at all, so repentance without fruit is not authentic. See, repentance is an important message that's lost in the pulpits today. People don't like that message. They don't like to feel convicted, so preachers stop preaching it. But I want you to see it was the central message of John's preaching. And it wasn't just John's preaching. It was the central message of Jesus' preaching. It was the central message of the 12 disciples' preaching. It was the central message of Peter and Paul's preaching. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 6. The disciples were sent out and they preached everywhere that people should repent. Acts 2, 38 through 41. Peter preached first the sermon, his first sermon to the church, and his message was repent. The Bible says when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized. Paul summarizes his teaching in Acts 20, uh, verses 21 and 20 and 21. He says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Jesus' first message, Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You see, the word repentance means to turn around. It means to take that U-turn like I did at the airport, coming home from the airport. Don, do you have the picture uh, of the about face that I sent to you, those soldiers? It's this. An about face is a soldier standing like this, and, and he makes an about face. That's what repentance is. It's making an about face in the face of sin. It's turning away from sin and towards God. Hosea 15.1, I love this scripture. It says, return Israel. And remember, we return through repentance. To the Lord your God, your sins have been your downfall. This was Israel he's talking to. God's chosen people. Return because your sins have been your downfall. Can I promise you my sins are my downfall? doesn't separate me from God. He loves me. He forgives me freely. But my sins are my downfall. 
It's like John comes saying, you're not right with God. You're moving away from him instead of towards him. Turn around, do an about face, do a U-turn, if you will. John wanted people to stop their wrong thinking and have a change of mind about their sin, to turn back from their sinful ways and stop acting in ways that separated them from God. Amos 3, 3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on a direction? Here, you need, to, you need to understand that scripture. Can two people walk together without an agreeing on a direction? Where are my Friday morning people? What does the word confess mean? To say the same thing as... To say the same thing as God. When I confess my sin, I say the same thing as God. I come into agreement with God about what he calls sin. And I start calling those things in my own life sin. Can two agree? Can the two walk together unless they agree? I want nothing more in this whole wide world than to walk. And I don't mean walk. I, some of you are going to say, I do walk with Jesus. And, and I don't repent of my sins. Well, you rock on with your bad self. This is such, I'm telling you, this is elementary teaching. And, and it never fails when I teach a message like this. Somebody else says, she's preaching works. No, I'm not. I'm preaching the gospel. The gospel. So let's grow up and leave the elementary teaching on and press on to maturity, Scripture says. I'm trying to, I'm trying to teach you here. I don't just want to walk with God. yes. I can sin, <laughs> I can have as much unforgiveness in my heart as I want, and because I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm saved by grace and not by works, I'm going to heaven. But I am miserable. I am miserable. Miserable. When I break his law, he's not out there. You broke my law, Rhea. It's not about that. It's about he understands his word is truth. Today I was on a prayer walk and I said, Lord, I just want to tell you right now, I am just so sorry I ever questioned your ways. That I ever looked at you and said, that's too much you're asking of me. Because it's the way to life. And you see, can two walk together unless they agree? I want to walk not just beside them. I want to walk hand in hand in intimacy. There is something completely different between knowing God and being intimate with him. I want intimacy. That's what I want. And can two walk together unless they agree? Unless they agree. Isaiah 30, 15 says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In repentance is my deliverance. It's how I get free. Max Anders said, The nation could not walk with God if they were out of fellowship with him. They needed to change. John was trying to get Israel to see that God and them were moving in two different directions and that the people needed to change their direction through repentance and walk again with God. Repentance is agreeing with God about our sin. It means to change one's mind and it'll change our behavior as well. It's not a one-time event. It's not something I do just to, to um, when I come to, to salvation. People say, well, I repented when I came to Christ and that's all I need to do. Okay, then what do you do with 1 John 1, 9? Who wrote 1 John? John. And he says, if we, who's the, who's the we? Believers. <laughs> if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John's including himself in that. If we, do you see this? So John comes and he says, prepare the way of the Lord. What does to prepare the way of the Lord mean? Why does the passage use this terminology? The Clark commentary gives us some insight here. I love it. I just want to read it to you. The idea is taken from the practice of Eastern uh, monarchs who, whenever they entered upon an expedition or took a journey, especially through the desert, 
They sent harbingers before them to prepare all things for their passages and, and pioneers to open up the passage to level out ways and remove all impediments. Okay, so I, I was reading uh, uh, some, a sermon that somebody wrote. They were talking about reading this book from uh, the, the, the first war uh, in the U.S., and how it was in Ohio, and I guess with a, with a native tribe or something, and it was back with George Washington back in that time. And, and he says what they had to do is they had to get pioneers because the soldiers couldn't get through. Uh, the, the, the generals couldn't get through because the forest was so thick and, and the, the land was so uh, uncultivated. And so what they did is they got pioneers to go through and they would clear out everything. They would, they would take down the trees and they'd make a path where the armies could get through. And they would, they would pull out stumps and they would put bridges over water and, and they made a way. They, they so radically altered the landscape so that these uh, soldiers could come through. That's preparing the way of the Lord. See, John's hearers would have understood that in Bible times they didn't have nice roads like we have now. And so when a king came into town, they would send somebody to announce ahead of time, the king is coming. And what they would do is then all the people would gather around and they would start filling in the, 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 the ditches in the roads. And they'd start making, taking rocks out of the way and making a clear path so that king could come through. See, they wanted the king to come and visit them. And church, I'm just telling you, I want nothing more in this world than for the king to come and have, I don't want, well, visit me. Visit me with your power. Visit me with your glory. Visit me with your, your, your understanding and revelation. See, I don't just want to visit you on Sunday morning. I want to live in intimacy and connection with you, and I want a visitation. And in order for that to happen, I got to radically fix this landscape. I got some rocks. I got some, some, some gullies in my life that need to be addressed. Still an act of grace. I can't clean those things up on my own. But I can come to him and say, you know what, God, I got this stuff in my life. And I want to prepare the way for you to come. I want an encounter with you every single day of my life. People say, I'm so depressed. It's because you haven't cleared the way and you don't have an encounter with God. Because where, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom, there's joy, there's joy in his presence. Hmm, Jesus. So we've got to clear the way. And that's, that's the verbiage that John was using. Prepare the way of the Lord. The king is coming through. He's about to visit his people. Clear it up. Take down those, the, the, those, anything that would be an obstacle that would get in his way. Today, I told you I went on a prayer walk. And, and that prayer walk was just about me saying, Lord, I'm, I'm so aware. I'm opening up the word of God tonight. I don't ever do that uh, without... Um, Great, sincere. I, I, I take it very, very seriously. And so I, I was out walking with him, and I said, Lord, just examine my heart right now. There's some yuck in there, Lord. I just need to get clean. You're aware of that yuck. You love me anyway with all the yuck in my life. I'm telling you, he loves me anyway. That makes, that's why it's safe for me to come to him. You see, Mason, oh, Dave and I saw Mason Ryder. I love that little boy so much I can hardly even stand it. He, was, he turned one and we went down to visit him and he was just learning to walk. And, and he would, you know, we'd get about this far apart and he would do this waddle to Papa and, and then he'd fall. And now when he fell, we did not say, oh, when are you going to get this right? How am I going to love you if you're falling all the time? You don't even know how to walk. <laughs> 
No, we were like, Dave, did you get that on video? I'm so proud of you, Mason. I'm so, so excited for you. I'm telling everybody, I'm calling Leslie. Mason took a step. I was so excited. Did he fall? All the time. That's God in me. He's not up there saying, you know, I, can't, I don't have to fear saying, God, I got this junk in my heart. I actually thought this about somebody today. I said this to somebody today. I don't have to fear going to him because he's like me and Mason. I'm just so glad you're coming. It's a step. He's not, he knows what's in me. He's, he doesn't get fed up with me. He's excited that I've seen it and that I want to come to him with it. And you see, it's grace because the second I come to him, phew, he graces me to get free from it. So remember, no voice of the Lord for 400 years. The first century church was dry and parched spiritually, just like the wilderness John was emerging from. And he was calling them to make paths straight for the Lord's coming. He was bold. The Bible says he was a voice. See, he understood he was just a voice. He wasn't anything. I said to Dave, what really amazes me is that John has this ministry and all these people are flocking to him and then Jesus shows up and everybody starts following Jesus. John's ministry is like, that's it. And he's like, yay, go. See, that's what ministry should be. I don't know where we get this ministry stuff where it's, you know, your church and this church over here and we're divided against each other. We're all, we all play on the same team. So if you, uh, somebody said something about another Monday night teaching and I'm like, you rock on with your bad self. If you want to go to that other Monday night teaching, you go. You have my blessing. You go where God is leading you. That's what the church is all about. See, John understood he was just a voice. And when his mission was accomplished, he was done. So he came as a voice crying. And that word crying means to raise a cry, to cry out loud. It means to shout. Here's what's interesting. It's in the present tense. It means crying out was John's habit. He was constantly crying out. The word wilderness, he was crying out a voice in the wilderness. And that word wilderness means a solitary, lonely, desolate, uninhabited place. It's used of persons deserted by others, deprived of the aid and protection of others, especially friends. Some of you are in a wilderness today. You're in a desolate place, surrounded, surrounded by people but still lonely, rich but poor, having everything but feeling desolate. Maybe you're living in a spiritual wilderness, a dry, barren, lifeless place. And it's in that place that John's voice came beckoning, beckoning, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his path. Remove any obstacle, the sin that so easily entangles, and clear the path in your heart and your mind so that God can draw near without hindrance. Prepare the way. This is interesting. That, that word prepare, we said it, it means to make ready, to remove those obstacles. But the way here, that word way, not exaggerating, if you look it up in the Greek, it'll tell you this, that it means a manner of thinking, feeling, or deciding. That really hit me. Because you see, the thing we're preparing is our manner of thinking. The thing that we're preparing for the Lord to come through is our thought life, our feelings, our emotions. Isn't that where we get into such trouble in our stinking thinking? Preparing the way is about a spiritual preparation. It's about preparing our heart and our mind. I prayed for your hearts and your minds tonight, that they'd be open to God's word, ridding them of anything that might hinder the visitation of the Lord. 
We can't have stinking thinking and expect him to manifest in the midst of that. We can't hold on to, to bitterness and unforgiveness and expect to encounter him passing through our lives. We can't have anger and hatred obstructing his path and, and then expect the king to pass through. You might say, well, Rhea, I'm in a difficult place right now. Well, that's why I want you to see where John came preaching, in the wilderness. But even tonight, we have to be careful and intentional about preparing the way in our hearts and our minds for a visitation of the Lord. It's interesting, the tense in prepare the way of the Lord is aorist imperative. It calls for a specific, decisive choice. It means do this and do it now. It comes with a sense of urgency. He is urging them to prepare the way of the Lord, to clear their lives of anything that could hinder them from encountering the presence of the Lord at a new level. Some of your translations say, make ready for the way of the Lord. Make ready. It was a call for examination to clear our hearts and the minds of anything that might hinder the work of the Spirit in us. So repent, he says, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, make way, prepare you the way of the Lord. You've heard me say this a million times, what the word Lord there means. It means master. It means he to whom a person or a thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. See, that inter- that's really interesting. We call him Lord, but we don't give him the power of deciding in our own life. It means the possessor and the disposer of a thing. It means one who has control of a person. Edwards says, uh, if Christ is going to continue his advance in our lives, then many things must be cleared away. The hills and the mountains of pride and unrighteousness must be leveled. The valleys of things that we lack must be filled up. Rough spots must be smoothed out until all that hinders us from reflecting God's glory is removed. Then, and only then, will our lives no longer be a wilderness, but a highway upon which the King of glory can clearly be seen. Then notice what John says in closing. I don't want you to miss this. He says, I want you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, the authenticity of the repentance is evidenced in the fruit that's coming off our lives. Can I tell you, you can see fruit. If you look at a fruit tree, fruit is obvious. Fruit should be obvious, church, in our lives. You see, our new way of thinking, repent means to have a new way of thinking, should turn into a new way of walking. If you truly think differently, then we'll walk differently. And even Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That word keeping means weighing. It's interesting. I looked it up and I was like, really? That's what it means? It means weighing. It means having weight. It says, having the weight of another thing of like value, worth as much. The word actually means bringing into balance. Don, do you have the picture of the, the scale? What it means is, you see the two sides of the scale? If all I'm doing is repenting and there's no fruit over here, I'm going to be out of balance. But if I'm repenting and then I'm bearing fruit in keeping with that repentance, so what that looks like is, let's say I snap at Dave and I say some horrible things that I wish I hadn't said. But, quite frankly, he might have deserved it. And I can keep my journey going like I did at the airport and just keep driving. Or I can say, "Mm, this doesn't feel familiar. This doesn't feel right. I really need to do a U-turn and 
get back on God's way and I need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So does that mean I just go to God and say, sorry, got a little snappy with Dave? Or does that mean now I bear fruit in keeping with that repentance and go back to Davey and say, hey, honey, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me for what I did? And I want to love you well. And I look for ways I can speak into his life to nullify what I said in my anger. Do you see? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So to repent and not have fruit coming off of it isn't authentic. The fruit should balance the repentance. No fruit, no repentance. All right, so now I just want to make sure that you understand something. J.C. Ryle says this best, so I didn't want to paraphrase it. I thought I would just read his quote to end. We must carefully bear in mind that no repentance can make atonement for sin. The blood of Christ and nothing else can wash away sin from man's soul. No quality of repentance can ever justify us in the sight of God. We are counted righteous before God, not only for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ by faith, and not from our own works or deservings. It is of the utmost importance to understand this clearly. The trouble that men bring upon their soul by misunderstanding the subject is more than can be expressed. But while we all say this, we must carefully remember that without repentance, no soul can ever be saved. We must know our sin, mourn over them, forsake them, abhor them, or else we shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. There is nothing material meritorious about this. It forms no part whatever in the price of our redemption. Our salvation is all of grace from first to last. But the great fact still remains that saved souls are always penitent souls and that saving faith in Christ and true repentance toward God are never found asunder. So hear me say clearly, you're saved by grace, not by works. You can't repent enough to get to heaven. Our initial coming to Christ is through repentance. Repenting of our sins, we find remission of sin. Do you see that? This message was not about getting to heaven. This message was about the quality of life we have here on earth. See, I don't believe eternal life is when I get to heaven. I start living eternal life. I believe eternal life starts for me the day I say yes to Christ. And that in him and in his kingdom, life abundance comes. And that comes by doing what he tells me to do, by agreeing with him what is sin in my life, by agreeing to him with him that his ways work and that they're the way to life. This isn't oppressive. This isn't about condemnation. It's about life. It's about life. One last story before I let you go. Uh, you've heard me say uh, for a long time about somebody hurting me so deeply, so deeply take my feet out from under me. And I would voice the words, I forgive you. But I was angry. I was hurt. Not safe. And even though I would smile and be nice, in my heart I thought, you are not a nice person. And I need to just stay away from you. And all the while God would be saying, Rhea, you know that's not my way. And I'd be like, and your way's messed up because I'm going to get hurt again if I forgive. And God and I would have this conversation. Some of you are like, you talk to God like that? Yes, I do. He knows what's in a man. He knows what I'm thinking. And, and you know, for me, do anything you want to me, but don't take my understanding of the word. <laughs> I can bear just about anything. 
than not having revelation of the word. And I would hear people say I was reading the word, but you know, it's, I don't understand anything. And I'd be like, really? Because I love the word. I live for the word. But you know why I was mad at that person? The word was dead to me. I had to work and work and work to get a sermon. And I felt pretty justified, like they hurt me. Certainly you understand this, Lord. And he'd be like, my ways are right, Rhea. My pleasant path leads to pleasant places. And I'd be like, your path is messed up because they hurt me. And they're going to hurt me again. He'd be like, okay, eternal life. Do you want life, Rhea? Because the wages of sin, of, of anything that violates the divine standard, is death. So you can rock home with your bad self and hold on to that and feel justified in doing it. But I'm telling you, you are not going to have life. And I can't, we can't agree. We're not walking together because we don't agree, Rhea. And so I can't talk to you like I normally would. And the intimacy we share is not going to be there because, Rhea, you know we're not in agreement. How many years did I walk like that? And then the Lord began to show me that. Did he hold that against me? No, he forgave me. I was still going to heaven. But the life of God in me was severely lacking. Too much? Good? Do you understand? About faith. Driving down that, that picture of, of the airport. I could have said, you know what? I think I went the wrong way. And I could have been thinking, this is not the right way. I think I missed my turn. And I could have just kept driving. But at some point I had to say, I am going the wrong direction. And I need to do a U-turn. I need to do a about face. That's all repentance is. I want to walk in agreement with God. And so I need to get back on the right path. That's all it is. It's not to shame on you. It brings life in repentance and rest. It's your deliverance. It's your deliverance. So Father, as Megan comes, Lord, I, I just thank you. Number one, I thank you for Megan and Kathy. Thank you for the blessing that they are to us. And I thank you for your word. Thank you that it's powerful. It's living, it's active, and I ask, Lord God, that the word that was spoken in this place tonight would penetrate hearts and minds. Lord, that every person sitting here tonight would know how deeply and passionately they're loved by you, and that there's no fear in that perfect love. They don't have to fear coming to you with their failures, with their, uh, with, with their mess-ups, with their sin. That your arms are wide open waiting for them to grace them with the ability to walk away from that sin and do the U-turn that is so desperately needed. Wages of sin truly is death, Lord. But the gift that you offer us brings life. Would you bless each one here, Lord? Give them courage tonight to examine their heart to prepare the way of the Lord, to say, is there anything on my highway that's blocking the king coming through? And to deal with it. It's that simple. To remove that obstacle, to remove that hindrance. Lord, bless every person here. Draw us even closer to you, Lord. Give us revelation. Give us understanding. Give us hearts, Lord, that seek hard after you. Bless these men and women, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name.